Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Yeagle, and today we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 24. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Dear Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to learn about prayer, uh, to learn about you. Father, we ask that you would just open our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that you would use your word and that you would use Joel's words to speak to our heart. Father, we ask that we would leave unlike how we came today. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, Kim. Uh, one quick note uh, before I dive in. The, uh, later in the service, we're going to have a question time about the content of this text or the sermon. And I want to highlight that because as you actively think through and listen, uh, this is a participatory thing. And so you may have questions. On the back of the worship guide at the bottom is the number that you can text uh, any questions that come up as we go through this section from Matthew's Gospel. There are uh, a few different approaches uh, to acting. And uh, one approach, I feel like, is find the person who can feign emotion the best. So who seemingly can, like, cry on a dime? Or uh, who can seem excited about something they're not really excited about? Put them on stage. Put a camera on that person because uh, they can act. They can take on emotions uh, that they aren't actually feeling in the moment. You know, somebody who has range of expression. But in the early 20th century, a Russian theater figure named Konstantin Stanislavski came up uh, with a whole new way of doing theater. Uh, and it involved lots of different elements that I'm not going to go into, but when it came to actors, his approach was for an actress or actor to uh, lean fully into that character. The goal then for any actor would not be to just take on some added emotion or pretend to be someone they're not. The goal was to so fully understand the person and all of the nuances that come with him that it is almost like you become the character. It's something that goes beyond just the superficial appearances, but actually truly getting to know the characters that actors play. This is commonly referred to as method acting today. One example that comes to mind for me is Jamie Foxx. Uh, in the 2004 biopic, Ray, where Jamie Foxx is playing Ray Charles, he did lots of preparation for that role. And in an interview with the New York Times right around the time that the movie was coming out, Lola, Oganaki did an interview with him, and in the interview, he described what it was like to fully lean into playing the character of Ray Charles. It was much more than just listening uh, to his music or being able to play the piano uh, or even meeting Ray Charles himself. Jamie Foxx lost 30 pounds to play the role, so went through a physical transformation where his body type looked more like Ray Charles. Jamie Foxx uh, glued his eyelids shut for 14 hours a day while filming was going on because if you don't know, Ray Charles is not only an amazingly gifted uh, songwriter and musician and singer, but he's also blind. And so Jamie Foxx, in an effort to lean in and not just uh, impersonate or feign the emotions of Ray Charles, 
glued his eyelids shut so that he could function more along the lines. And in the interview, this is a quote from Jamie Foxx where he talks about it because previously this was one of uh, Jamie Foxx's first really serious roles. He said, look, coming from comedy, I could grasp a Ray Charles impersonation pretty easily. This is Jamie Foxx saying. So he basically says, look, because of my comedy background, I can impersonate Ray Charles. That's no problem. I can do uh, almost any figure that you want. The difficult thing is capturing the nuances of who he really is. When Jesus in Matthew's gospel is unpacking what it looks like to live as kingdom members or in our current series to live as the beloved of God, he is going to highlight that it looks more than just feigning some good works, doing some good stuff. That living as the beloved is much more than the impersonation of a good life. For Jesus, living as the beloved calls us to so thoroughly understand who Jesus is and what he has called us to do, that we're not just doing impersonations of good, but that in a sense we understand who God is and how he loves us, and that becomes our driving motivation for why we would ever give of ourselves or why we would ever look out for people who can't immediately pay us back or why we would pray to God. That the driving motivation for those things is not just feigning uh, that we live a good life, but fully adapting to who we are as God's beloved. And that is Jesus' invitation to us when we think about doing good. And so we're going to look at that this morning in two points, and they're on the screen. You can see them. Doing good for love. That's bad. Doing good for love. Okay. Hint. That's bad. And doing good from love. That's good. Okay? All right. So doing good for love, bad. Doing good from love, good. All right. All right. You're tracking. So you get these points. You're following along. Perfect. All right. So first up, Jesus in verse 1 is talking about doing good. Beware of practicing your righteousness, which can be a fancy word, but all he's saying is beware of doing good. Doing good for others. Beware of loving others before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have your reward. This serves as an introduction. This first first verse serves as an introduction of all that's going to follow in chapter 6. And I want to acknowledge up front, Jesus assumes that you care about doing good. Uh, And so I'm going to carry forward the assumption that if you're here this morning, you care a little bit about doing good, or at least looking like you're doing good. If you don't care at all about doing good, this is going to be a tough sermon. Do the best you can. Hang in there. But the underlying principle for Jesus is, of course, you care about doing good, but Jesus wants to zero in on what drives you to do it. What is the force that would cause you to text some money through an app or give of your time or use some of the expertise that you have and pause and slow down and help someone else who is in need? What would cause you to spend time in prayer communing with God? What would cause you to fast? 
Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, that's a little less common than giving and praying. That's probably more relatable. But fasting, this idea that in our wealthy moment, we would intentionally go without so that we can identify with those who struggle. Well, why would we do these things? Jesus says that that motivation becomes a good diagnostic tool of our true spiritual condition. Jesus is doing business with the reality that lots of people can act like they do good, but the reasons that drive them, it varies. And so when you can go underneath the surface to the motivation of what drives us, you're in a sense putting a spiritual stethoscope on someone's heart. You are going to hear just how healthy that good that they're doing actually is. Jesus is assuming that we're going to pursue good things, but when we pursue them for love, either for the love of other people, so they'll like us more, if we do good stuff so other people like us more, if we do good because we think God will like us more or approve of us just a little bit more, Jesus is saying that is superficial, and in that moment we have our reward. And so he goes through each item unpacking what that would look like to do good for love. Hint, that's bad. It's not what Jesus is going after. In verse 2, when uh, it assumes we're doing good, don't sound a trumpet. Now, I don't know how many trumpet players we have here present this morning, but maybe the equivalent would be posting on social media. That's the 21st century trumpet. Right? So when you do good, do you do it in order to take a shot and post it to social media so that everyone can see? And if that's the driving motivation, Jesus is like, oh, you got your reward. You're good. Just move on. When you pray, do you think of it as performance art or some sort of Harry Potter-esque incantation where if you say the right formulation of words, voila, something magical happens? That is not how prayer works. And so what's driving your prayer is you just want to look like you're a good person, or you think you can rub the genie bottle of God and the world in which he created in just the right ways, that then God must do what you ask. Your approach to prayer and doing good is for love. It's for something else. And Jesus says, mm, that's not going to work out for you. And when you fast, if you fast, when you suffer for doing good, let's say, when you give up something that actually costs you in order to love someone else, do you do it in order to be seen in verses 16 through 18? Jesus is giving some common first century examples of what doing good looks like. Giving, praying, fasting. And for Jesus, the fundamental question is if you give something valuable and no one sees it, does it still have an impact? So if you give something valuable and no one sees it, no one knows, does it do anything? Does it have an impact? 
That's not some tricky philosophical question like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? That's not what I'm going after. I think it's a way to, in a sense, put that stethoscope of motivation on our own hearts. Would I do good if no one knew what I was doing? Because if you say no, and maybe for some of us that's the honest answer in certain situations, that Jesus is wanting to highlight for you, almost as a diagnostic, that you have too superficial a view of what doing good is about. Because you may think, if I can't post these things to social media that generates likes or uh, interaction or engagement, then, like, what would I be doing it for? That's instantaneous. Like, people, they, like, yay, and then I feel good, and then I want to go do it again. And so then that's great, right? And Jesus is saying, "Mm mm-mm, that's doing good for love. That's doing it for the sake of getting that feedback. And it's too superficial, yet because of its immediacy and because of how it makes us feel, that's probably our number one temptation when it comes to doing good, is the type of feedback that we get from other people. And so it's the importance of hearing Jesus' words freshly this morning, because it's not just a lesson that we learn. You don't get to go into the doctor once, so to speak, and have him listen to your heart with a stethoscope once, and then be like, all right, I'm good for the rest of my life, right, doc? I mean, some of you may take that approach to healthcare. I wouldn't recommend it, but the same is true of our spiritual lives. You don't just check your motivation once. You're like, yeah, that one time I went in and my motivation was great, so I'm good, right? It is an ongoing process to think deeply about our motivation. Jesus is calling us to answer the question, if you give something valuable and no one sees it, does it still have an impact? Jesus would say, absolutely, because God sees it. And if our driving motivation comes from a position of faith, that we do these things not for love, but from love, and God sees all, nothing that we do is lost on him, whether evil or good, then Jesus invites us to give, to pray, to fast, to do acts of mercy, to love one another, and driven along by the motivation of God's love for us. And if we're being honest, that involves faith. Because it's just so easy to like post something and get that immediate feedback that makes us feel good. It takes faith to think if no one sees it, that is still okay because it's not lost on God. That is an act of faith. That's doing good from a position of faith when you're motivated from your status of beloved. So we'll go to that point. If doing good for love is to please others or superficially to get that immediate feedback or even that God may approve us, Jesus invites us to do good from love, from the reality that we are living as the beloved. And he does this in this passage. I don't know if you caught it when Kim was reading by emphasizing the relational connection that we have with God himself. God is not a genie. Uh, who we try to coax out of a lamp. Uh, He is not a vending machine that if we feed the right good works, then we get what we want. God, for you, sisters and brothers, is our Father. We are adopted into his family 
We have the status of being called God's beloved because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I hope that that lands on you as good and encouraging news because when you get in a cycle of doing good for love or approval of others, it is exhausting. Even with that immediate feedback, you just want more. How can I get more engagement? How can I get more likes? How can I get more explicit approval from others, maybe even from God? That pursuit is exhausting individually. And so into that exhaustion, Jesus invites you to do good from a position of beloved. Jesus meets you in your exhaustion and says, turn to me in faith. It is the only way to ever become loved by God and adopted into his family and to be able to do good and have that freedom from the place of love, being loved. Jesus says, turn to me in faith. I accomplish that for you. And he's communicating that relational status and connection multiple times in verse 4, in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 14, in verse 15, in verse 18. The language of Father is present throughout. It's our Father in heaven who sees and hears. It's our Father in heaven who provides. The relational connection is a point of emphasis for Jesus that he comes back to again and again saying, this is how you do good from a position of love. You are reminded of your status that when you give, it's because God, your father, provides. When you pray, it is because God, your father, loves you. When you fast, it's a reminder that it is uh, God who ultimately cares for even your basic needs. That's why each week as a church, when we do prayers of the people, we close them with the framework that Jesus gives in chapter 6, reminding us not just that God's kingdom has come in Jesus, not just Jesus' work of redemption for us, where you're offered uh, freely God's grace through him in faith. But that status as a praying and worshiping people that we can turn to God as our Father and therefore do good from a position of love. Now, I recognize that much of this is individually oriented, but there's value to us thinking about our motivations from a community standpoint as well. Oftentimes, we can have blind spots and think that our motivations are good, but it takes family members who know us, it takes friends, it takes fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to just raise the question. It is hard to listen to your own heart with a stethoscope is what I'm saying. And so while Jesus's orientation uh, seems pretty individualistic, this works best when it works in community, when we know each other well enough to listen to the motivations of each other's heart. Just a few weeks ago, we were in a meeting with the Mercy Ministry team and Diaconal Ministry team and the sessions of the elders of the church, and we were meeting together talking about a variety of options of how we can do good, how we can love our neighbors well. And as that meeting tracked, at one point in the meeting, because of the course of the conversation, one of the sisters present spoke up and said, Whoa, whoa, wait a second. It sounds like now that we're talking about this, that we're beginning to center ourselves as if this is about us, when in reality, this is about loving and serving others. 
And she didn't say it harshly. She didn't say it in a way that was uh, judging. Uh, She didn't say it as, I know all of your hearts, and so I'm here to tell you. She said it in the way in which communities in healthy moments work with one another, and that's the way in which it was received by everyone else who was in this meeting. It was like, right, right. We want to do good from a position of love, not for love. Certainly not love for ourselves. That's not what drives us doing good. So there is an individual side of this, which we've touched on, but there's a communal side that makes it important for engaging with others. It is hard, I think Jesus would say, and Paul for sure says it in the rest of the New Testament, to live and grow and have a spiritually healthy life in isolation. You cannot do it your own. And so he calls us to give and to pray, and to fast together, to do it with our community, to do it for and with our neighbors, even as we talked about last week, for our enemies. But to do these things in a way that is always mindful of living as the beloved, to not do them for approval, not even for God's approval, but to do them because we we are loved. To do it from the position of God's love demonstrated for each of us in Jesus, and that becomes our security, our comfort. That becomes our peace, our joy. That becomes what drives the fruit of a healthy spiritual life. The response of sons and daughters doing good comes from the position of being loved by God. Doing good for Christians begins and ends with Jesus Christ himself. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us and that you will use our community in a way that does highlight, gets at, points to our motivations so that we won't just be a phenomenally organized nonprofit that accomplishes good in our community as if that were wrong. It's not, but that we would be a community that does those things motivated by what you've done for us through your son, what Jesus, you have accomplished for us, and now having poured out your spirit, have gifted us to do, that is to do good from the position of being beloved. Amen. Amen.